high performance isn't just about gadgets and gizmos. It's fueled by outstanding people. And for people to be outstanding, you need to create the right conditions for them. However, you've got to find them in the first place. And it's all very good and well having sophisticated recruitment methods, interviewing techniques, ways of screening people, setting up imaginative ways to to maybe create group interviews or virtual interviews. However, if the people putting themselves forward for jobs don't know what they're doing, then you've got a problem because you might have some really good people there, but they don't know how to show it. And the skill and the awareness and the ability to present your case in applying for jobs and interviewing is very much at the heart of why I started writing The First Hurdle. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast with me, Steve Ingham. And now this podcast is all about exploring the dynamics of high performance with people who have been there and done it, people who have supported others to succeed or have explored concepts, performance concepts in real depth. And so this week, actually, it's me. Um, I'm going to share some thoughts about recruitment, about people and share some perspectives and content from my new book, The First Hurdle, which is a guide to searching applying for and interviewing for jobs in sports performance. So what I'm going to be covering in today's episode is some of the background motivation behind the book. I'm going to cover seven key principles for people who are aspiring to get into the world of sports performance and the job market. But really, actually, there's a subtext also there for people that might be recruiting the other side of the desk that might be interviewing, maybe for the first time or perhaps looking to up their game. So my seventh principle is aimed at the interviewers. Before I get into that, I'd like to share a little brief story. Uh, And this really was taking me back to when I went undertook my first interview. This was 1996. And at the time, the English Sports Council coming out of the Atlanta 1996 games, they started to create a number of high performance roles. So actually, I was fortunate enough back in 1996 to get one of 10 full time sports science jobs in the UK. So I went up to the interview and that the first of all, the first stage was a little bit of a meet and greet, a little bit of a tour. And I went up to what was the one of the epicenters of high performance thinking at the time, which was a place called Lillishaw National Sports Centre in the lovely countryside in Shropshire. And so I got offered to an interview and a chance to go up and I went up to to meet the bosses at the time and I walked in the door and a number of other graduates there and actually there was one of my good friends from university, a chap called Nathan Kelly. And we started to make small talk with the other graduates and then we got broken off into small little groups and I was paired with Nathan and another another chap. Now the other person there, let's, let's call this person Gary will protect the identity. Gary had every qualification under the sun, every coaching badge, every degree, every master's degree, great grades. And Gary was really keen to share his achievements with us. 
And just before the panel interview, these mingling events just got us warmed up to the thinking about interviewing. And so on arrival at Lillyshaw, amidst the small talk, uh, we were given a tour of the facility by the centre director, John Brewer. And so I was grouped with Nathan and our chirpy chap, Gary. And at the time, we got shown around the laboratory and the physio area, the England football team happened to be there. And this is just off the back of the It's Coming Home, oh so nearly perfect summer of Euro 96. And there was a real buzz about the centre as the various players were receiving treatment and undertook tests and sat down with the other sports scientists. It was really cool. A little later, John took us off around the lovely Abbey grounds there and we passed the pristine pitches where the England football team were training. And so in sight was Paul Gascoigne, Gazza, Paul Ince, David Seaman, Gary Neville. They were all assembling and playing a like a half-pitch game at the time. Now, Nathan and I were trying to ask some of our best intelligent, you know, just employ me questions, when on seeing the England team, our super-qualified co-candidate, Gary, interrupted John. And he said, look, look, there's, that's the actual football team there. I've, you know what? I've got my boots in the car. Can I have a kickabout with them? Now, assuming that it was a joke, um, but not quite sure. John awkwardly replied, uh, no, uh, quite determined, focused, no. However, our fellow interviewee, Gary, pressed on. He said, no, 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 seriously, I've got my boots in the car and I could get changed in like five minutes. And I looked over at Nathan, I thought, huh. Well, he's got all the qualifications in the world, but I think he's just excluded himself from the process. Now, this little story, this little vignette, you know, you could you could forgive Gary for his enthusiasm, perhaps a lack of common sense or maybe a failure to judge body language and tone. And actually got me really curious to think, well, I might not have the best qualifications, but maybe how I turn up, maybe how I present myself might offer me an advantage to the recruitment process. This might give me more of a chance for taking the opportunity to acquire work. And since then, that was 1996 and 25 years ago, I've had the opportunity of being on the other side of the desk hundreds, if not thousands of times, seen thousands of CVs, applications for in-demand jobs, and then recruiting and interviewing people. And part of our focus over the years has been very much about trying to find good people because high performance isn't just about gadgets and gizmos. It's fueled by outstanding people. And for people to be outstanding, you need to create the right conditions for them. However, you've got to find them in the first place. And it's all very good and well having sophisticated recruitment methods, interviewing techniques, ways of screening people, setting up imaginative ways to to maybe create group interviews or virtual interviews. However, if the people putting themselves forward for jobs don't know what they're doing, then you've got a problem because you might have some really good people there, but they don't know how to show it. And the skill and the awareness and the ability to present your case 
in applying for jobs and interviewing is very much at the heart of why I started writing The First Hurdle. So I was actually in the middle of another book, something a little bit more profound called Drivers, which is about the science of our existence, whether it can guide our progress, collaboration and contentment. But actually, and and I'll be coming back to that book, but I wondered whether this is something that needs to be communicated now because I was doing some consultancy for a sports club and providing some independent interviewing support. So reviewing CVs and sitting on panels to support their recruitment efforts to find good people. And I was struck once again, as I have been before, that the people on the other side of the table and the desk and the interviewing process just didn't have the, the skill to work. And you know from all of our efforts that we're passionate about supporting the future generation of performance professionals. But we're continually seeing not only graduates are not skilled to work, but also that they lack the awareness and the skill of putting themselves forward. And so it's, it's all very well as suggesting that people need to be developing deep experience but you've got to be able to communicate that and and pitch yourself and that means taking your time to think about the the mind of the interviewer and so that's why I wanted to write this book to help people to thrive when looking for work and helping people to realize that there's this an art and a skill to applying for jobs but most people actually just wing it they'll just give it a go and they'll just They'll take some vague advice, perhaps from a career centre, but they perhaps won't be putting themselves forward in the best light. And that's why I've called it the first hurdle, because it's a real obstacle to getting into the world of sports performance and, and actually acquiring work. That's an obstacle that perhaps people didn't really anticipate. If you're doing all the right things, developing deep knowledge, understanding how you can create impact for people and then communicating that in your paperwork or the application process or the the various different hurdles that you might experience at interview. And that is what I wanted to communicate through the book. So the book came out on Monday, the 4th of May, and it's available in ebook and paperback and is across the various different territories. Have a look at supportingchampions.co.uk forward slash the books. And that is an opportunity for you to be able to buy the book if you if you so wish. I've included a copy of the contents in the show notes for today. But what I wanted to do is take an opportunity to highlight seven key principles And the seventh principle I will mention now is aimed at the interviewers, the people on the other side of the desk. But in the meantime, I've got seven key principles that I think cover some of the narrative of what the book covers. But hopefully the book provides you with a one-stop shop process of being able to really shape up your search, your application and interviewing for jobs. Okay, so principle number one, first principle is to be yourself. Now, it is possible to game an interview where you're tricking an interviewer into thinking you're the right person for a job. But trust me, I have been tricked. I have been tricked by people that can talk the talk. Now, this phenomenon is called smart talk or hot air. This was coined by Jeffrey Pfeffer, professor of organisational behaviour at Stanford University. And, and this is about you saying what you think the interviewer wants to hear as opposed to 
saying something that's genuinely authentic to what you can deliver, your values, who you are. So blagging your way into a job is a recipe for disaster. You will eventually get found out as you eventually drop the facade and become your true self. And if that exposes a mismatch between what you want and what the employer wants, then trouble will definitely lie ahead. So you'll certainly get found out if you just try and and learn how to present yourself, but without backing it up with the experience and the know-how and if it's false. So the reason that you need to be authentic and to be yourself is that you can't be anything but that. And if you are true to yourself, you're true to your values, you speak honestly and openly about your experiences, then then you will put your case forward. And if the employer doesn't want that, then, well, that's not a bad thing for you because you're now in a position to think, well, I wasn't quite right for that, which means they weren't quite right for me. Now, being authentic means that you've got to put some decent boundaries around your behaviours. And that means shaping up your professionalism. And I'll give you an example of that. One interview that I structured once around a group interview, which I think are really effective at at finding how effective people are in team scenarios. A group interview and people were given tasks and, and lots of people there. People were milling about during a break, everyone going off to the to the loo or check, pretending to check their phones. And I was just getting one of those terrible Nescafe instant coffees from one of those urns. And, and a young lady came over to me and she's thinking, probably I need to make some small talk. What could I say? And, and genuinely from her body language, I could tell this is this is the first time I think you've given small talk a go. And... She kind of came over and said, yeah, um, so, uh, so uh, how much do you earn? Now, I'm the appointing manager at that point. I'm looking down at an aspiring professional and thinking, what a car crash. Uh, if that's the first thing that you could potentially think of to ask me, then we've got a problem on our hands. But really, that person just needed to be getting out of their own head and thinking about what is an appropriate thing to be making small talk around something that is enchanting something that is charming something that is is wonderful to hear and that engages the other person not an inquisition or an intimidating statement as such so the first principle to be yourself stay true to yourself using some some humor and some small talk and learning how to be able to do that means that you can show what you're really like what you can really do. And that is the lead in to you demonstrating your character and your attitude. My second principle is to show that you can do the job. And so if there's one thing that the recruiter is looking to do is create a almost an imaginary line or perhaps on a piece of paper and think, right, who is above the line? Who do we think can actually do the job? Now, this often shows up quite clearly when you ask some fundamental questions and some people will go off on one different tangent versus another. Now, my killer question I profile in some detail in the book is how do you improve performance? And rather than thinking this is an opportunity to demonstrate what I can do and that to, to prove to you that I can do the job that I'm being recruited to, hopefully, most people will will follow a simple knee-jerk response of thinking, 
well, I've done stuff before. I'm just going to put that forward instead. So the, the problem that a lot of sports performance staff make in this situation is just to regurgitate their undergraduate dissertation and, and show the findings. And therefore, I've studied this and therefore performance is going to be enhanced because I can do a study. And that's not necessarily evidence that you can do the job in hand. So that's the number one thing that you need to show at an interview process, but also in the fundamental paperwork and, and searching for jobs and refining your, your, your search process is can you do the job? And you've got to make sure you absolutely put your best foot forward in taking every opportunity to communicate that. Underpinning that idea of can you do the job is a question about have you done something similar before? Because that's probably going to be the best evidence that you can do the job in hand. And underpinning that will be also, can I trust you? Can I trust you to be reliable, a committed, uh, values-driven member of staff that if if I put you into that situation in a a professional context, that the last thing I want to hear is somebody phoning me up saying, who on earth is this? And so you've got to make sure that you put your best foot forward by showing that you can do the job. Third principle is to declutter. So this is linked to the second principle of showing that you can do the job. Now, what most people do in the application process and in the interview process, and potentially even when they start working, is they just throw everything forward to try and demonstrate that they're worth something Whereas actually what is a much stronger tactic is to is to hone what you put forward. So decluttering means that you're you're focused in communicating what is it that I've done that is important and what have I done that is relevant to you. So this is about avoiding the interviewer getting overwhelmed overwhelmed with the paperwork or just getting frustrated and bored at interview thinking I've got to pick the bones out of this answer I don't even know what they're talking about now and that shows or alludes to the fact that if you can't communicate in a focused way that you're unlikely to be able to do that in a work context either so please do avoid piling it all in there on your cv or an answer I'll give you a metaphor to to illustrate this. If you want to, if you're going out to a party, say for example, and it's a nice do, and and you want to look good, and you, what you don't do is you don't go to your wardrobe and then pick out maybe ten different outfits and put them all on. What you will do is pick out the outfit that you think is is most appropriate to that particular event. And so that's about you looking good and and piling all your clothes on and wearing everything that you've got is not the best way about presenting yourself to a given scenario or a party. Don't take party tips from me. So you need to focus on making sure that right front and centre of you and your paperwork and your interview responses is that you're focusing on what is most important thing that you've done that's high impact and that is relevant to a given job and backing that up with some evidence. Principle number four builds on number three of of decluttering. That is providing clarity. And so what I'd suggest here is that you need to learn some structures 
to particularly your answers in interview questions. And the problem word here often at interviews is and, where people try and answer the question, but then what they do is add more material. They don't answer the question and they're adding something else. And oh, I've just thought of something else and I should mention that. And, and another thing, oh, and another thing. And then suddenly they're starting to get caught into a bit of a rambly haze and the loudest voice in your mind is, how do I end this question? And it sort of just ends up dribbling at the end of it. Now, the, the thing here is what you can try and do is add some structure so that when somebody asks you a question at interview, that you have some principles that you will follow. And that what they can do is, is show that you can do the job, show that you've thought deeply about it, but also end the question in a, in a way that is engaging. So an example that I share in the book, I've got a couple of different structures that you can use. Um, one is is philosophy, example, future. So that is explain the philosophy, your thoughts on a particular subject. Give an example of how you've either used or navigated this particular topic in the past. And that shows that you can do the job, shows that you draws on your experiences. And then what's the future hold? What would you like to explore? What, how would you like to take this particular area forward? And so if you use this philosophy examples future structure, then that can probably navigate maybe 75% of most interview questions. Some questions will just ask you to define a particular concept or, or idea, and you just need to define it. That's fine. But in most instances, you'll get asked a question that will require you to show the nuance and the understanding and the ambiguities in some of your answers. And the philosophy example future is such a structure that, that can actually help you navigate through. Future is a really good way to end your answers. In the future, I would like to explore this, or I think there's an opportunity here. And that shows that you've got potential. Principle number five is about the skill of communication. And specifically here, you need to be thinking about not just the words that you use. And I can recall numerous interviews where if I'd had a transcript at the end of everything that they'd said, I would have felt that they'd aced the interview. I can think of one particular example where one young candidate sat down for interview and we asked all the questions and everything that they said was absolutely spot on. But in my gut and the other panel members also felt completely deflated, unconvinced. And, and this isn't necessarily just about the words that you say. Many, many people say good stuff, but leave an impression of just not feeling convinced. So underlying this is not what you say, it's how you say it. And so this notion might stimulate a little bit of discontent from people saying, well, you know, if I was technically correct, well, maybe that should be good enough. But bear in mind that language and the spoken word was the latest addition to our human communication system. That basic grunts and squeaks served our ancestors very, very well and in everything that they needed to convey. And they got ahead because of that. And before that, our pre-language capability as a species was based on intonation and predating our ability to create sound at all came our body language, the shapes and gestures of our faces, heads, limbs to convey a particular message. 
And this was all that our long ago fathers and mothers had, but it spoke then and it speaks now. And the issue that we must now manage is when our body language, our tone of voice and the, the spoken word contradict each other. This creates a feeling of distrust and uncertainty. That's why you need to make sure you get your head around all aspects of communication. So, for example, some work by an author, Beeb, Beeb and Ivy in Communication Principles for a Lifetime shows that our communication can be broken down to the spoken word only conveys 7% of what we communicate. Our non-word verbal tone communicates 38% of what we want to communicate. And non-verbal body language communicates 55% of what we want to communicate. So you need to make sure that you take body language and tone seriously as contributing factors when it comes to convincing someone that you're employable. And that's why I've given this some real focus in the book and some top tips about how you can make sure you get it right. Principle number six is a mindset. And that is about understanding that it's not about you. Even though you're putting your best case forward, you're trying to present yourself through paperwork or interviews, it's not necessarily about you. Underlying a recruitment process is assessing how you can influence others. And so often we get an interview, you get different types of characters, some characters that I I profile in the book. Two that stand out. One is the superhero that turns up as if they are going to save your organisation. Hands on hips, a little bit like Lord Flashheart from Blackadder. And there's an arrogance to that. There's perhaps some entitlement to, I'm here, I am going to solve all your problems. They can be at worst rude. They can be arrogant, potentially some entitlement, maybe talking down to some of the administrators and and so this is about ego. This is, uh, I am here, I'm going to solve your world's problems. And it's all about them, as opposed to how they can blend into a team. The other character on the other end of the spectrum is probably the, the mice, the, the, the ones that come in, barely say anything. It's too quiet. You can't necessarily hear what they're saying. You do have to have something about you. If you're going to work in a team, a scenario in a performance environment which has got some pressures, it's got some dynamics, it can be challenging, there can be conflict, it can be demanding. Each of these different aspects, you're going to have to make sure you step up. And so sometimes the, the mouse will come to an interview and barely say anything. They won't necessarily be able to present an assertive case for themselves. So You're going to be working with other people and a dynamic that will be assessed at interview is can you work within a team? Can you fit within that team? That's not to say that recruitment should dial up conformity, that it's silo thinking where the interviewers are trying to appoint people just like them. That's not good practice, not for a high performance team where there's a blend of of different types of personalities. But working in a team does need that. So there should be an opportunity in every question or every interview um, opportunity to link to how you can make something happen for not only somebody else, but also how you can get that to work for a team. So this is really just all about making sure you're focusing on the how, not just the what in your answers. Last but not least is principle number seven, and this is aimed at the interviewers. So 
this principle is don't be an ass. I think there's something strange that happens when you in, enter into this interviewing phase. For some reason, many good people adopt an overly formal, hoity-toity, self-aggrandizing, quite clinical, maybe distant, almost defensive and certainly intimidating persona when the veil of interviewing descends. Now, you may well be like this every day as a manager, but it's unlikely that you are. Now, this is about you just checking to see whether you're representing yourself and your organization in the best way possible at interviewing, because ultimately your job is to find the best candidate. And so creating a warm, welcoming, encouraging, relaxing, supportive environment will help people give the best version of themselves. Now, by all means, you should be pushing, delving, probing people at interview, finding the limit of their knowledge and what they can do, A, mainly because that will give you a good profile of the things that you need to be able to support them with. Now, interviewer ease, you need to bear in mind that if somebody is drilling you and pushing you, humiliating you at interview, then that's probably what you're going to get from them as a, as a person, as a manager and as an organisation. And if candidates come away from an interview feeling despondent, depressed and ready to throw the towel in on their whole career, then that's on you. You haven't only let yourself down as a manager, but you've also let that person down and the profession down by discouraging people from learning and growing. So alternatively, you could, through this unique opportunity of engaging people, the next generation of professionals, you have a chance to enrich people's lives, inspire them to pursue their dreams and boost a profession that will live long beyond your time by enabling more people to become hurdlers of the highest caliber. So how you conduct an interview as a manager is absolutely critical for you taking your responsibility seriously for the future of your industry. Create recruitment that is developmental, inspiring, as well as instructional for that person and their future. So there we go, folks. Those are my seven key principles that should give you hopefully some top tips and advice when you're looking for applying for or interviewing for jobs, but also if you're interviewing too. Um, the, the book is out now. It was out on the 4th of May. You can get it on an ebook um, and in paperback and it should be re- available around the world. Uh, the book itself has also got some special features that might be worth your attention, such as a focus on group interviews and how that's quite a tricky dynamic to, to navigate. Uh, with the current situation, COVID-19, social distancing, people still need people to work. Uh, and so we've developed a special section on there for video pitching and virtual interviewing. Uh, Special sections also for tasks, asking for feedback, and also climbing the ladder, so interviews for managers and leader positions. There's also a couple of appendices, uh, one by Simon Bond at Bond Legal, and Simon has penned a specific statement around the thorny issue of unpaid internships and the legalities of that. There's an appendix across performance disciplines that provides you with a snapshot view of different career routes too. 
So the book should give you a one-stop shop primer as to how you can put your best foot forward for work. And it just reminds me to to mention, actually, we've just taken receipt of the the filming scenes that we did over before lockdown all kicked in, where we recreated some scenes with actors. And we had the good, the bad and the ugly. And it was great fun recreating some of the scenes that we've seen. All of them we've witnessed live. Um, And that's going to be part of our next course, which is Graduate to Performance, which is a big old course about upskilling everything you're going to need as you transition from study to work. So keep your eyes peeled. You can actually sign up through the uh, supportingchampions.co.uk to to pre-register for that particular course. Anyway, that's enough from me, folks. Next week, we're going to be returning to a guest interview, and I'll be delighted to share my episode with Rob Pacey about creating content. You can follow us on Twitter at support underscore champs. You can follow me on Twitter at Ingham underscore Steve. Check out our LinkedIn page at Supporting Champions. We've also got a Facebook page called Performance People. The links are in the show notes, so have a look.